0: to the Word of God this morning. And we're going to be turning to the book of Revelation. Last book in your Bible. The book of Revelation. If we could stand for the reading of the Word this morning. Revelation chapter twenty. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 20. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And let's pray and ask God to open up our ears to his word. Let's open the door, so to speak, and allow him in to minister to us through his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And we give you praise for all that you've done here this morning, what you're doing in this church and the people that are come here this morning that are gathered online. I thank you and I praise you for it. God, I pray that you'd open up our ears to hear your word. We open up our hearts to you this morning. We hear you knocking and we want to follow you, leading of your spirit. Heal the brokenness in our lives, God, that stands in the way, that that hinders us from walking with you closer today and and bring restitution and and healing, Lord, to every wound, every hurt place, and help us to hear, Lord God, with clear ears, what your spirit says. Lord, let there be a clear sound from your word this morning that comes to us today, that we wouldn't be distracted or or, or taken away from what you have to say, but we would clearly understand what you want to speak to us into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We've been going through this little series on doors. And uh, a door is a a barrier, but one that can be moved, one that can be opened or closed, locked or unlocked. And it's an entranceway. It's an entranceway to many things, cupboards, rooms, buildings. Uh, it, It can be a gateway to a country or an amusement park or a mall, or a doctor's office, or an operating room. There's so many doors, and each of them uh, stand as a barrier. You can only come so far. You can go no further, uh, or you can be welcomed through it. It can be a, a beautiful archway into a garden. I've always dreamed of having one of those arbors, you know, with that's covered in the climbing roses, uh, covered in multicolored rose buds in the early summer as a welcome to a beautiful backyard with gardens and vegetables. That's just my little pet dream. I love that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, that, that's a beautiful welcoming doorway. And then there's the, there's the black iron gates that close and lock and you can't get in. And it looks ominous and foreboding. And each one of them is a door and it, it speaks different things and is either a barrier or an entrance to different places. And the Bible speaks of doors. Uh, as we, we saw in our lesson uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is the doorway to the kingdom of God. He is the door into the kingdom, John chapter 10, and, and he's the door to the sheepfold. If we're going to get in and be part of his kingdom, be part of his fold of sheep, his, his care as a shepherd, and if you throw that second picture up there for me, Emerus, uh, it, it shows the picture of that shepherd sleeping in front of the sheep door. And this is the picture of Jesus. He's the protector of the church. Uh, he, he lets in those who come through him. But if we don't come through him, the Bible says, if we try to climb over the wall, he's a, uh, the one who climbs over the wall is nothing but a thief and a robber. It's, it's, uh, it's indic- indicative that they're not there for the right reasons. And so uh, Jesus is the door... To the kingdom. If we're going to come into the kingdom, we've got to go through Jesus. We talked about how that relates to baptism. It relates to receiving the Holy Ghost. It relates to trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. He is the door into the kingdom of God. There's not multiple exits and entrances. There's only one. There's only one And his name is Jesus. And then last week, we talked about how we are called to tell others about this door, uh, Abraham, God gave Abraham a promise, and He said that you are going to possess the gates of your enemies. And I, I, I gave you a little lesson there on gates. If you go to that next picture, shows the 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 gates of a city, and this is the entrance and the exit to a city. Now, contrast to the the entrance to the kingdom. There's multiple a- ways to enter a city. There's only one way to get into the kingdom of God, but there's many ways to get into a city right cities in these days had multiple gates each one of them for different purposes and different reasons and uh, and they served different purposes they served different functions within the cities and often business was done right inside the gate as soon as you got through the gate you could approach the king's chair you could approach the, the, the governor's chair. You could approach the, the place where your grievances could be heard and received. And, and so gates became a symbol of a city's government standing. It became a symbol of their power and authority. It was all wrapped up in the gates, how strong the gates were. Uh, and, and so uh, God promises Abraham that I'm going to give you the gates of your enemies. You're going to possess the gates. You're going to be in control of the government of your enemy and we learned how in that that promise that of Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ in Galatians where Paul said that that people who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit are receiving the promise that God gave Abraham that he would bless the whole world through Abraham how was God going to bless the whole world by giving them the gift of his spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That, that is the gift God promised Abraham that he would give to the entire world through Abraham. And then God, God kind of made it clear to Abraham that not, not, not everybody's going to be too keen on receiving that gift. And there's a reason for that, because there's an unseen enemy that wants to keep people from getting this gift from God. The devil doesn't want you to get the Holy Ghost. The devil doesn't want you to receive the gift of God's Spirit inside of you because it is the power of God that enters your life. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I'm going to give you power to be witnesses, power to be a demonstration to the world, Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, and the uttermost parts of the earth, the, the far corners of the world, I'm going to release power into your life to, to enable you to be brave and courageous and go into places that you could not get to on your own. Uh, and and, if, you were, and if, if you were at family camp this week, you might have heard some really awesome stories about missionaries going into access challenged nations. And if everything works out, we're going to have one of those missionaries coming to our church here in the month of August that's uh, a missionary to an access challenge nation. We can't tell you what nation they're going into at this time. He might divulge it when he gets here because just the fact that he's there is illegal. And we, we had one earlier this year. There's another one coming through, going to a different nation. And uh, just awesome that these men and women are willing to put their life in danger to spread the gospel to people who may not really want to hear it, but, but they're commissioned. They're called by God to go Uh, how does someone do that? They do that when they receive power from God and a calling. And this was the power that God said, I'm going to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit that's going to give you the power to witness, to tell. This is something the devil doesn't want the world to hear. He doesn't want the world to hear this message. He wants to keep the world bound in sin and and destructive behaviors and habits and and going in a spiral downward to nowhere. He doesn't want people getting closer to God. So so God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the gates of your enemy. Our enemy is not the world. Our enemy is not a nation. Our enemy is not the government. Our enemy is not an agency. Uh, Our enemy is a spiritual one. I've always believed that that protests are well and good in their own place, in their own right, but prayer is so much better than protests. Prayer is so much better than protests because prayer actually brings the battle to the gate of the enemy. Protesting on the street with a sign is, is good and well in its own right, so I suppose it's, it's a freedom of speech issue, but, but I, I find that, that, that prayer and ministry are far more effective tools than, than, than protesting or, or rallies because that's, that's acknowledging the fact that there is a spiritual enemy that if the spiritual enemy is dealt with then, then, then the, the, the physical act of reaching and ministering will be so much easier. And God said to Abraham I'm going to give you the gates of your enemy. I'm going to allow you to possess those gates and spread the gospel to every corner of the world, if you will pray, if you will seek my face. But we come to the third door that I want to close this little series with. The third door is is the closed door. This is the closed door. Now last week we talked about a, a door that God wants to open, but this week we're talking about a door that's closed. It's very interesting Uh, We read in Revelation 3.20, just read it again. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And maybe you've read this verse many times. You've probably heard it preached in the light of repentance services, right? Uh, Where God is, and the preacher sometimes will will appeal to the sinner and say, Jesus is standing at the door of your life and he's knocking. And, And in many ways... That's true. God God pursues the heart of every person who's away from him. And so in a way in a sense he's always looking for the lost sheep. He's always going to the closed doors. God is always seeking entrances into places where he is barred. He's always looking for access into the lives of people and and he will not he will not barge his way in but he will only come in upon invitation and and often he'll come right to the edge of that that line of barging in and he'll 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 bring people to a place where they have to make a decision and and so in a lot of ways this verse could be looked at from that perspective and it's not entirely wrong or against the 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 context of scripture to do that but if you look at the the actual passage you know it's nice to pull out a verse like this and and apply it to other scriptures and kind of mesh them together but the best way to approach scripture is to read it in its own context. It'd be like someone reading a letter that you wrote to somebody else and taking a line out of that letter and uh, attaching it to a different letter you wrote at another time and trying to make a new message out of that. It, It would be better for them just to read the letter that you wrote and and take it for face value, what you're saying to that person in that moment at that letter to get the message that you're trying to send. And this is, this is the approach to scripture. It's the, the hermeneutical method to approach the chapter for its own self, reading it within its own context. And so when you read this verse in its own context, you first have to ask yourself, well, who is the letter addressed to? This is actually a letter in the Bible. Uh, we're reading the letter that Jesus wrote through the, uh, the Apostle John, who's on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation. And, and, and John, the Revelator, is there in this, this forbidden island, this prison island, kind of like the Alcatraz of his day. And Jesus visits him in this island and says, I want you to send a letter to the church, to the church. So we first discover that this letter is not written to the sinner. It's not written to the world. That Jesus has come like a gentleman, like a a friendly neighborhood salesman, and he has something that he would like you to, you know, be part of, you know. It's not a pyramid scheme. It's not a, it's not one of those timeshares things. It's better than that. Like I promise you, this is better than a timeshare. And if you just give me a moment of your day, you'll leave with a free steak. And, uh, you know, it's better than the grocery order program where, you know, we'll, we'll come in and give you a free steak at the end of this meeting or a free shower head if you let us talk to you about this air filtration system. And kind of this image of the friendly neighborhood salesman that's going to leave you with a gift at the end of your hour. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. This is not at all the, the, the point or the context. And if you throw that picture up there, we often get this image in, in the mix there, the, the third image for me, Emerus, uh, of Jesus friendly knocking on the door, smiling. And in a way, that's true. But, but the truth of the matter is this was a, a letter to the church. And so the first question I had when I realized This was not a letter to the sinner in which it would make sense. Jesus is outside the life of a sinner, right? That makes sense. Jesus is outside the life of someone who is not walking with him. Totally makes sense. It sounds very friendly and normal. But then when you discover that Jesus is actually writing to his church, his church, It's his church. The Bible says that the church is purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his possession. The church itself is his. He bought it. It exists because of him. If it wasn't for Jesus, there wouldn't be a church. If there was no Jesus, I'm here to tell you there'd be no church here this morning worshiping him. This would be a building. It would be the Asante Mutual Funds building that it was before we purchased it or it would be some other karate uh, instructing building. It would not be a church here this morning because this church is here because Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day and then gave his spirit to his disciples on the day of Pentecost and gave them his spirit to empower them to do his work. This church is here because Jesus was here. So what is Jesus doing knocking on the door of his church? Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. They were his keys. And so someone took Jesus' keys and locked the door and left Jesus outside. What is Jesus doing outside of his own church? Why is he outside the door of his church? And so Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. You've left me out. You've locked me out of my own church. I'm standing at the door and knocking. And if anyone will hear and open, I'll come in. And what I love about this, Jesus says, uh, he may have had a smile on his face in the painting. But I think maybe the more accurate picture is a little bit of a grimace. Like, you guys left me outside and locked the door. This is my church. I died for this place. I died to set you free, to empower you to do my work. Why are you keeping me out of my own place? So Jesus begins this passage with an encouragement, because Jesus is a nice guy. He, he, what I love about God is He doesn't fault find. When you come to God, doesn't matter how long you've been living for Him, and if you've fallen away from Him, when you come to Him, He doesn't immediately fault find. The best illustration of that is the story of the prodigal son. When the son came home, the father didn't say, how long has it been since you've been home? Why are you all dressed in rags? Why do you smell like pig? Why do you smell like slop? You got, you got mud on your cheek, son. Come on, wipe that off and then you can come inside. No, the Bible says that he put the robe on him, put the ring on his finger, gave him new shoes, killed the fatted calf and threw a party for his son who had come home because his son who was lost was now found. His son who was blind can now see. His son who was deaf can now hear. And there's a celebration because the son came home. So Jesus starts his message to the church with encouraging words because he wants you to come in in. Ultimately, he's a little irritated that you've locked him outside his own building. But at the end of the day, he says, I'm coming to knock on the door. And if you open the door, I will prepare a meal for you. Funny. It seems as though Jesus is, is knocking on the door to get in, not to reprimand, scold, and to shame and condemn everybody. But he's, he's opening. he says, I want to come in and fix you a meal, people. I want to come in and prepare you a meal. I want to provide for you. I want to be your God. I want to be your one and only. And so he gives them encouraging words. He starts out by saying, "You're enduring patiently. You've not grown weary. You didn't fear what you were going to suffer. You endured uh, your, the tests and the trials. You endured the persecution. Your works are getting better." He said all these nice things to them, and then and then he gave them a rebuke. He says, "You know what? I can't I can't ignore some things because." You've abandoned your first love. You've done all these good things, but there's some areas you need work on. You've abandoned your first love. You're permitting false doctrine in the church. You're permitting the spirit of Jezebel, rebellion, lust, perversion, to have its effect on you. This is the gist of his letter to the church. And then he gave them a warning. He said, now, if you don't fix these areas that you're lacking in, I will come and remove your place from the kingdom. Now Jesus wasn't talking about he was going to remove them at that present time. But ultimately he said, if you don't change your ways, there will come a day where your church will just be dissolved. It'll just fade away. It cannot last without me at the helm because this is my church. And he said, repent or I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Now that sounds very violent and very aggressive, but if you understand the imagery of Revelation, the sword of the mouth of God is his word. And so Jesus said, I'm basically going to lay the accusation against you based on my word. The testimony of my word is going to fight against you. I will strike down and kill what is produced by perversion, lust, and rebellion. Because ultimately Jesus cannot condone something that is born out of perversion, lust, or rebellion. And so Jesus is not condemning the church. That's why he started with the positives. This is what you're doing well. But he's coming in like a father to reprimand, to rebuke, to encourage, uh, and to draw his bride closer to himself. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19, Jesus said, those who I love, I reprove and discipline. I put them to work. I discipline them. I get them fit for the use that they're, they're born to fulfill. So be zealous and repent. And he continues the letter to them in verse 14. He says, the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot, but I would that you were either cold or hot. This is the same church, he said. I'm standing at the door and knocking. This is my message to you. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's giving them a, a visual image, which I'll explain in a minute. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The church was blind to its own condition. The church looked at themselves and says, we're rich. We've got lots of money in the bank. We've prospered. We've done well. We, we need nothing. But Jesus said, the true, the true diagnosis of your condition is that you are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You're looking at the physical measures of success, and I'm looking at the spiritual. I'm looking on the inside. You're, you're evaluating the outward appearance of your church and how it's working, but I'm looking at the internal side, and, and it's, not, it's not jiving in, in a healthy way. I, I'm looking at the inside of your heart, the condition of your thoughts, the condition of, of how you think, and, and it's not going to produce something good, because the law of the word of God is the internal discipline produces the external fruit. And if the internal discipline is lacking, is poor, is diseased, or is broken, it's only a matter of time before the external fruit is damaged. Last year there was a tree on my street that produced beautiful leaves. But this year it's withering and the leaves are curling and the the branches are bare. That's not a new problem. That didn't just happen this spring. The tree's too big for it to happen in one single spring. Am I right, Sister V? This is something that happens over a long period of time. There's some kind of insect inside the tree, some kind of a disease that maybe started years and years ago, and nobody knew it until this year when the tree began to manifest it. You remember that big storm we had early in the season? The big one with all the the huge blustery winds? There was... Trees on my street that were beautiful, that were totally demolished by the, by the windstorm. But other trees withstood the, withstood the winds. What was the difference? If you looked, every single one of the trees that fell, there was a disease down the middle of the tree. You can see it. When the tree split, the the white the white the wood is white until you get to the part where it broke off and it's all black. What was going on there? There was a disease in the tree. And what revealed the disease? You didn't know the disease was there when the tree was producing leaves. It looked great. But the storm revealed the internal disease of the tree. It's the, This is the principles of life. It's the principle of the Word of God. If there's sin in the heart, it's going to reveal in the storms of life. If there's problems in the internal workings of your disciplines and your walk with God, it's only a matter of time before that disease works its way from the in to the out it's only a matter of time before the rotting core spoils the outside of the apple it's only a matter of time before the worm in the pit of the peach gets out and begins to consume the flesh of the peach up until that point it looks great on the outside it looks delicious but you pick it up and you give it a little squeeze and it squishes in your hands because something on the inside has polluted it to the outside Jesus is saying this is what's happening. The inside workings of the church are spoiled. Why are they spoiled? Because I'm on the outside of my own church. So he said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. I'm here to fix what's going on on the inside of the church. I'm here to fix what's going on on the inside of your heart. And I'm on the outside, but I should be on the in.'" So if you will just open the door and let me in, I can fix what's going on on the inside of the house. Notice Jesus says, he says this to the whole church, but he basically says it only has to start with one. Because he said, he who has an ear. He began to speak globally, right? He's talking to the whole church. But then he speaks to the individual. How is Jesus going to get on the inside of the church? It only takes one. One who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If one of you will open up your heart and let Jesus in, it's pretty hard to to be around someone who's living in the abundant life that Christ offers and not be affected positively by what's going on in their life. If the fruit of what Jesus produces in your life is sweet, those around you will want to know, how did you get such sweet fruit? My neighbors come to me because I have a decent garden. I, I, don't, I, I, I like taking care of it. And I, I have little tricks that keep the squirrels and the rabbits away not perfect. They're still eating my flowers. But I have little tricks. And so my neighbor, we were, we were having a thing. And she said, oh, your, your flowers, they're, they're not consumed. How? How? What happened? And so, what, what what is that? Well, that's just the, the, what's going on in my yard is not going on in her yard. And she looks at mine and says, I want what's going on in your yard to go on in my yard. Because you're doing something that's keeping the pests out. I want to know what it is, so I can do it in my, right? It's the principle of life. If Someone sees the flowers that Jesus produces spiritually in your life. I'm speaking metaphorically. If the fruit God produces in you is good, is sweet, is beautiful, is, 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 is evidence of what God is doing. Someone's going to come up to you and say, there's something going on that I want to know. You're seeming to win in this area. What are you doing? Can I have a bit of that magic potion too? Now, Jesus diagnoses the problem here. Another one of those scriptures we take for granted. Hot, cold, and lukewarm. Let's talk about that for a minute. Many have misinterpreted this scripture as well for many years. Um, I I heard this preached at a youth camp once. The preacher said, uh, God wants you to be on fire for him. He doesn't want you to be cold, and he doesn't want you to be lukewarm. He wants you to be hot. But if you're going to be lukewarm, God would rather you be cold. And the message was, the interpretation was, either be all in or be all out. And, and in my generation, that's, that's happened. There's some today who are in, and many who were in that youth camp who are all out. And they, they were given that thing. You're either going to be all in, you're going to be hot for God, or you're going to be cold. You're going to be out. Cold is bad. Cold is bad. Hot is good. Lukewarm is worse. It's worse for you to sit on the pew and be lukewarm. God's going to spit you out. But if you're cold, that's better than if you're if you're lukewarm. And that's a misunderstanding of this passage. That's not what Jesus is saying. Never, ever would Jesus look at a soul that he died for and say, "I'd, "I'd rather you be out of the church than in halfway." Jesus would never say that to somebody. Jesus always wants to address the condition that's going on inside of you at the moment. Now, he might call you out on it like he did the priests and the Pharisees. You are whitewashed tombs with dead man's bones inside. But Jesus never gave them that harsh diagnosis without giving them the antibiotic to fixing that problem. You read the passages. Don't just quote the the harsh words, but quote the remedy that he followed up with, right? Repent and turn your heart back to God, and and get the inside clean, is what Jesus was trying to say. So he's never going to look at somebody and say, I'd rather you be out of my church than in halfway. Never. God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is he talking about? He's pulling from a, Jesus often did this in his teachings, he would teach about shepherding, he would teach about farming, he would teach life, Life things that the people understood and attach a spiritual principle to it. So Jesus is writing to the church of Laodicea. Now if you throw that, that, there's a picture of a map there, Emerus. If you throw that up on the screen, you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus is writing the letter to the church of Laodicea. Okay? Laodicea is somewhere halfway between Hierapolis and Colossae. Okay? And, and Hierapolis was known for its hot water springs. Heropolis was a, a great place. If you wanted to get a mineral bath of hot water, it was known for its healing properties. It had mineral waters. You could go there and, 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 and enjoy the medical benefits of the hot springs in Heropolis. They were known for their baths. People went there seeking healing from arthritis, sin, skin disease, and even abdominal problems. And then Colossae, which was down further Located 11 miles from Laodicea, Colossae was built at the foot of Mount Cadmus, which towered more than 9,000 feet high in the air. Colossae was known for its purple dye, beautiful garments, and and ice-cold, snow-rain-fed streams. The the water in Colossae was notably cold because it was fed by the mountain, the ice from the mountain would melt and flow down the mountain in streams and, and, and arrive in Colossae in rich, clear, drinkable, beautiful, cold water. Laodicea was caught in the middle between the hot waters of Heropolis and the cold waters of Colossae. What Jesus was doing was actually talking about the, the common problem that every Laodicean was, uh, was very known for. That every Laodicean knew that they were not known in the area for their water. Because of their, their placement, water was not one of their high, pla- high, high commodities. They didn't have hot baths and they didn't have cold water. They were known for other things. They were known for their soft black wool that was appreciated throughout all the Roman world. And so they were famous for their clothes. Laodicea was also known for their eye salve. They had some medical uh, expertise in their city, and so they, they developed a, an eye salve that was good for the eyes. And They were a wealthy city, but they were. The worst thing about Laodicea was the water. If you go to the next picture, Laodicea was so desperate for water that they literally had to build pipes, and uh, they, they had to they had to pipe the water in from other places. But because of that, the city's water was often tepid, warm, not cold, not hot, and it tasted bitter. It it was piped in through these, these duct things. If you go to the next one, I think it's called an aqueduct. And it's basically a stone pipe that piped the water from a different location. And they tried to work with gravity and things to, to get the water to come up to them. And, and, and so Laodicea had, was known for all of these other things, but the, the source of life, which is water, Laodicea was not famous for. They were a lukewarm water city. And so Jesus said to the church, If you were hot like Hierapolis, you would bring healing, restoration, and comfort to the people who suffer. If you were cold like the water in Colossae, you would refresh, encourage people. You would would bring a refreshment and restoration to their parched soul. Instead, you are like the water of your own city. You're lukewarm. Nobody likes it. Everyone spits the water of Laodicea out of their mouth, and they cannot drink it. If they drink it, they feel sick. They can't have it because your water is lukewarm, and your walk with me is lukewarm. Your walk with me is not hot. Your walk with me is not cold. Hot and cold were both good things. They had good properties on either side. Jesus said, You're neither. You're not healing anybody. You're not refreshing anybody. Why? Because you've got an internal problem. Laodicea had other things. They had nice clothes and rich eye salve. They were wealthy in many areas, but in the most important area, in the life-giving source of water, they were deficient. And so the church had all of these outside trappings. The church looked nice. They had nice carpet, nice pews. They had beautiful lights, uh, and, and they had great sound system all of which we have here today. But there was something on the inside of the church, the very source. You can live a long time without clothes. You can live a long time without a new suit, without a new dress. You can live a long time without new shoes. We went on vacation to Pennsylvania, and many of the Amish and Mennonite families don't buy shoes because it's not economical in the summer to wear shoes. And you often see their kids running around barefoot on the farm, and you're like, wow, that's kind of crazy. they they're running barefoot on a farm. I would never do that. But they've gotten used to it because it's cheaper to let them run barefoot all summer long and then only use the shoes in the winter when they have to. That's just, that's the way they run. So I learned the lesson wow, you really can live without certain things. You can really go without a lot of things. But one of the things your body can't go without for more than a day or two is water. Water is one of the most core things that you need. And Jesus was addressing that. He says, you have the clothes down pat. You have the eye salve down pat. You have all the trappings of a church down pat. But the internal core, the pipeline of the church, the thing that's going to pump the life-giving water, either hot or cold, into your relationship with me is deficient. It's broken. It's not a Effective, your prayer life isn't working the way it should. Your your walk with me, your devotion with me, is not where it needs to be. It's corrupted on the inside. You're looking to the world for this, that, and the other thing, but you're not looking to me. So. I'm, I'm on the outside when I want to be on the inside. I want to be on the inside of your issues with your husband, with your wife. I want to be on the issues the inside of your issues with finances. I want to be on the inside uh, of your diagnosis you got this week from the doctor. I want to be on the inside of your fears, of your worries, uh, of your joys, of your sorrows. Uh, the Bible says if you're sick in your body, what are you supposed to do? Respond with prayer. Call on the elders of the church. If you're living your life in victory, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to give a special thanksgiving of praise to God. There better be a praise on your lips if something went well for you this week. You ought to come to church with a shout in your voice uh, and with the praise on your lips. If something's not going well, don't come to church quiet. Come to church and pray and seek God. What is he saying? He says, let Jesus be the water within the pipes, within the center of your city, within the center of your life. Don't put Jesus on the outside. Don't close the door on Jesus. Don't keep him out. When you keep Jesus outside, the water on the inside gets tepid, lukewarm, undrinkable. The peach rots at the core. The apple starts to fall to pieces. The fruit slowly dissipates. The tree is diseased from the inside out. Jesus was not at the helm of his church in Laodicea, Jesus was not building his church in Laodicea. Jesus was not working in his church in Laodicea. Jesus was outside the church of Laodicea. They've learned how to have church without a move of the Spirit. They learned how to sing without the anointing. They learned how to preach without a word from God. They've learned how to grow without prayer, fasting, and dying to self. Laodicea was the self-sufficient church. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I don't need his word. I don't need his instruction. I can figure it out. I've got the eye salve. I can see. I've got the rich clothing. I, I'm clothed. I'm good. I'm good on the outside. But Jesus said, the spiritual condition is that you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. The very things that Laodicea held to for their wealth, Jesus pointed them out and said, you're not, you may have black wool, but you're not clothed. You're naked. You might have the sad that every nation in every province of Rome wants a piece of, but you're actually spiritually blind to your condition. So what, you, what do you do? What do you do when you have this condition? Jesus never leaves them alone in their, in their condition. He says, open the door and let me in. Open the door and let me in. Open the door. I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. Let me in. I want to come in and eat with you. I want you to eat with me. I want you to sit on the throne with me in heavenly places. That's not the words of a condemning God. Those aren't the words of a God who's ready to cut you off Strip you down, beat you till you're black and blue. What does Jesus say? He says, You've got all this stuff going on the inside. I just want to come in and make a meal for you and then put you on the throne next to me. I want to seat you in heavenly places. I want you to be a conqueror. I want you to conquer the disease that's eating you from the inside out. I want you to win in your relationships. I want you to win in your home life. I want you to win in your work. I want you to win in every area of your life. I want to bless you so you can be a blessing. Can we stand this morning? So what do I do? I repent from the dead works. I got to take inventory, figure out how did I get here? How, do I, how did I get to this place where where the inside is dead but the outside looks good how did I get to the place where where my my inside life is not as good as what my outside life looks like Jesus said repent from the dead works repent from the taking inventory figure out what's not working and ask God to, to change it Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to help you change the direction. And then follow him. Seek his word for for direction. Maybe you already know what to do. Maybe there's one thing. One thing this morning. You already know how to change that. How to transform that. One thing you're going to do better this week. It doesn't have to be 50 things. Jesus didn't make it a complicated list. He said all you have to do is open the door and let me in. I'll fix the meal. You don't have to worry about fixing it. You just have to worry about opening the door and letting Jesus in. How do I